you look at it as, you know, in, in my sense, I look at it as my Instagram following as, as my community. And it's like, if if I'm only as good as the weakest person in that community, meaning like if, if someone in there has got, you know, terrible anxiety and I'm posting something that's feeling that, then that's as good as I am in that moment. Welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast. I'm Katrina Blowers, and as a journalist, speaker, and mentor, I know what it's like to have confidence. I also know what it's like to have to dig really deep and find it all over again. I've interviewed hundreds of high-profile people, and this is what I know for sure. We all suffer fear, imposter syndrome, and self-doubt, no matter how shiny our life appears to be. So let's reframe the confidence conversation together and uncover the hacks and secrets to get more of it. Claiming your confidence starts now. Millions of women around the world own a piece of Samantha Will's jewellery. She's a celebrated entrepreneur, writer and speaker. Samantha says sometimes walking away from your biggest successes is exactly what you need to do to find creativity, integrity and passion again. And that in business and life, you should always follow your heart with equal parts courage and insanity. In this heartfelt conversation, you'll learn why it's important to never play small, how to make peace with your body and claim your confidence on social media, and why you should fail forward and own your mistakes. Let's claim our confidence with Samantha Wills. Samantha, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Now, we always set the scene at the beginning of each episode for, you know, where people are, just just so people, you know, if they're walking the dog or driving to work, they can kind of picture you in their mind. So where are you right now and what are you wearing? Uh, That's a bit kinky sounding, isn't it? I'm I'm just at home in Bondi uh, in my little front sunroom, which is my office, and I'm just wearing some active wear so you know nothing too exciting here but it's my at-home uniform I'm wearing active wear too I have to say but I've got some (laughs) glittery sneakers on because you know that's that's dressed it up a bit but your (laughs) apartment in Bondi for anyone who follows you on Instagram you often post you've got the most incredible view Uh, of the ocean I do (gasps) it's like the back the backyard kind of drops off a cliff and it's um it's very very surreal so I do feel very lucky to have spent isolation here so it's lovely now I I know a lot of women have grown up wearing your jewelry you you know even though you don't do that business anymore Mm -hmm. Um, anytime I mention your name to anyone, people have got stories about how you have been with them through some oh. really important phases of their lives, like whether it be their formal or their wedding or you must get a lot of that. I do. And when you say that, I've actually got my hand on my heart right now because that is just so lovely. And, you know, as we were speaking about before with jewellery, it is such a personal, it's a personal choice. We wear it very close to the body. Um, People choose it for their weddings and for milestones in their life. So it's very nice to have been part of that journey. And I think, um, you know, as you mentioned, I have closed the jewellery business, but when I, in the lead up to that decision, a part of me went to this place where I was like, you know, we don't need any more jewellery. Like, we, you know, this kind of product um, affiliation that I had put against the product after having done it for 15 years. And I kind of in a way like um, 
what's the word like wasn't wasn't really connected to the product anymore and I, for that reason I thought other people might not be as well and so when I announced that we were closing my inbox and our letterbox at the office was just flooded with these stories about um, what the jewellery meant to people and it was such a, a sobering experience for me to you know it wasn't just because it didn't mean that to me anymore didn't mean it didn't mean that in other people's journeys and we had women writing in saying you know I was a um, in a relationship that was a domestic violence relationship and the day that I left that after six years I went and bought you know a, a smell that was bohemian bardo ring and it really it was significant to me because it marked the next part of my journey or it was a you oh know another gosh. lady had written in yeah and said you know the last thing my mother gave me before she passed was a piece of your jewelry and I keep this this ring and it and I was like oh my I was so wrong I was so wrong to assume that that the jewelry didn't mean anything it's um so it, it was just such an incredible uh realization for me so um in answer to your question yes I do get uh people sharing a lot of stories along the way and it's it just fills my heart right up and um yeah it's incredible oh and I've heard you speak about this before and how you know you've you've done this in your business where you randomly you encourage members of your team to randomly gift people or, mm-hmm. or just do random acts of kindness and how you never know the ripple effect that your either your actions or your energy or Absolutely. the things that you are doing in life will have and and I guess for you that moment you I guess you realized what the impact was of of all the things you've been doing over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and that's the example because, you know, jewellery was our product and we're able to do that as a business sense. But I think in, um, you know, this day and age with even Instagram as an example, like you can put something on Instagram and you don't know where it's going to land with people or where they're reading it or the frame of mind or the emotional they're in when they receive it. So I think the ripple effect is being aware of the ripple effect. We'll never know, you know, where it actually lands, but how we're contributing to that and the energy behind anything we're kind of putting out there you just it's got to be done with um you know the best intentions to to reach with the best intention I guess yeah yeah I'd love to go back in your life um you've spoken about this a little bit before but I'd love to look at your kind of journey through through this to get to where you are today through the lens of Mm -hmm. confidence and I've heard you speak about how you know the whole jewelry thing just kind of came up organically and you do talk now about synchronicity and I think it's often easier to look back and join the dots but you were originally put in a beating course by your mum <laughs> but then you came back to it again once you'd moved to Sydney because you had a sporting injury and you literally mm-hmm. had nothing to do and that kind of led to you starting the business from your dining table. Isn't it crazy how things just come up organically like that. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we look at these things like that injuries you talk about. I kind of moved to Sydney. I was 20 years old. I was just playing in a social basketball game one night and my knee just exploded. And I, it was like the most painful injury. And I was just so mad in the days that followed because, you know, I couldn't couldn't work for six weeks, couldn't leave the house, was in a full leg brace. And I was just like in this, like, woe is me, why did this happen to me kind of thing. I was like, oh, I remember I bought, you know, my little fishing tackle box with some beads and pliers in it. I think it's in the wardrobe. So I hobbled down the, the hallway with my crutches, got it, got the 
tackle box and started just making jewelry on the dining table. And, um, you know, I look at that at the time, I was just so angry and feeling sorry for myself, but I look at it now and be like, no, you, you, the universe was trying to get your attention in a way. And when you wouldn't listen, it's like, all right. And I say the universe is patient until she's not. And then she literally like strikes you down in a way to get your attention. And, and that was my, <laughs> yeah. that was my yeah call to, to go on the path of the jewellery business. So it initially started with friends asking you to do things for them. And then, of course, very famously, you you had the stall at Bondi Markets. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you get the confidence from to think that there was something in this? Do you know what? A lot of people say that or they frame it like, like you were so brave to open a business, at, start a business at 21. And I look back now and I'm like, I wasn't brave. I think I was just obnoxious and, you know, opportunistic back then. And I think <laughs> I, I look at it, I'm like, if I had have known what was, if I truly had have known what it took to, to build the business that we did, I really don't think I would have had the confidence to, to do it. So I think one being that young, you just kind of, you know, throw caution to the wind a little bit. And if I contrast that with myself now, I'm 38 now, I'm like, I think I was a much more confident person back then um rightly or wrongly so I think it was yeah just a, kind of a, a, a bit obnoxious back then but just um taking the leap and really not thinking I had too much to lose was the thought process I definitely think that there's an increased confidence with naivety don't you oh absolutely the ignorance is bliss philosophy I yeah. think it's brilliant <laughs> But did you grow up in a household with parents who kind of told you that you could do anything? Where did that sense of purpose and that sense of confidence from an early age come from? Yeah, it's a great question. I um, So I grew up in Port Macquarie, a small town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And um, I tell this story, you know, I went to, I barely finished high school. I finished high school in 1999. And back then, and I realised how all of this truly makes me sound, but I'm like, the internet really wasn't a thing back then. And especially in a small, you know, regional town. So we had two um, internets at school, which were for like the computer classes. And then we had a dial up <laughs> at home. But um, the, the point of me telling that story is that you really only knew what you saw and around me in that community and, and my parents included were very blue collar, hardworking people. And um, my parents always had their own small businesses in, in some way, shape or form, but it was very much a, you know, a job, not a, not kind of a, and it was a very, very hardworking. So I kind of looked at it and I'm like, all right, well, you have a job in one sense, or then you go, other people go to university and study and have a career is how I kind of differentiated it in my mind. And I never, you know, I, I didn't really do that great at school. I did all art subjects and I didn't really know that you could be a creative director or a, I didn't really know that was even a job back then because I just knew what I saw. And um, my parents, I think the fact that they had their own small businesses throughout was the only element that I um you know put, put that ignition in me to start my own thing it, but I really still didn't even really know what I was doing at that point but I had seen them do it themselves so I knew there was there was a way I just had to work out how I was going to do it mm, yeah and I love the story that you tell about the moment when you took your business from the markets and it became something much bigger and how your friend had a stall uh, I believe it was a stall at um, Fashion Week and mm-hmm. it cost $500 and you had $509 was it in the bank <laughs> like talk yeah. about you know when you look back at, at synchronicity again mm-hmm. and the the universe kind of giving you a nudge it, it's 
was so weird that it was that amount of money and you had right. just enough to cover it. But but the confidence then to go, I'm going to wipe out all my savings on this one thing. Right. I know it's um it's not a, probably not a great business decision. It was a great brand decision. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know and I have told that that story a lot. But the story that I don't usually tell, and it's um only in the last few years I have started telling it, is before that I was actually dating a guy who I had a, um, you know, I was 21 at the time. He was, I think 29. So it was very scandalous age gap at that time. And, um, I had a huge crush on him and I, he'd asked me to go to an event with him kind of the following Wednesday and the markets were every Sunday and we'd been out the previous Friday night. So he's like, I'll call you over the weekend and, you know, see, we can organize this Wednesday event. And, you know, Tuesday came, Wednesday came, I didn't, didn't hear from him. And my, my best mate and I sat on the couch and went through all the reasons why a guy wouldn't call you when he said he was going to call you. And, I remember doing that. <laughs> right? Maybe his phone is broken. We don't know. Um, oh, my gosh. If only they there. knew the wasted energy, right? Oh, my goodness. No, it's, it was just so consuming, right? You, you just get caught in this vortex of, of wanting to know why. And um, so it got to the point I was just so heartbroken. And, you know, we'd been out a few times and I had my heart set on it. And so anyway, my friend, she had a stall next to me down at the markets and we were down at the markets that, that Sunday. And, um, and you know, the, we had to line up at the markets at three o'clock in the morning to get your spot because it was before online registration. So we'd been down there a few hours and she went and got the weekend paper and she flicked, she was flicking through and she kind of like, Oh my gosh. And kind of sat, sat on the paper. And I was like, what's wrong? Like, is everything okay? She said, Oh, nothing, you know, nothing to see in there. And I was like, what is it? And she said, well, she goes, I know why that guy didn't call you. And I was like, why is that? And she opened the paper and she said, he took someone else to that event on one, on Wednesday. And he oh. was standing in there with a, with an actress from home and away. And I was oh, just, you know, crushed. my heart kind of just like dropped out. And she goes, you know what, it's shit and it, he should have called and, you know, all the things. But, you know, at least we now know, now we know, you know, you never have to see him again. I was like, yeah, you're right. So we get our table for the markets and, that afternoon, she comes up to me. Her store was right next to me. She came up really quick and she's like, you know how I said you'd never have to see him again? He's coming this way. He's with Home and Away. Oh. Like he's walking this way right now. <laughs> and, you know, he kind of stood at my store and he looked at me and he said, oh, you know, this is this is the little hobby you were telling me about. And he kind of put his arm around um, the girl how he was patronizing. It was so patronizing and it it cut. It was just like it made me so sad. So I ran to the bathroom, started crying, and then – I got mad and I was really mad that, you know, his words were so scathing and he was so dismissive of, of my little hobby, as he had said. And I thought about it and I was like, but hang on, I'm the one that's also calling it a hobby. Like it's, it's, it's a bit of synchronicity to be like, all right, if you don't want other people to call it that, maybe you need to, you know, change your verbiage. And I came mm. out of the bathroom and the, the guy that you're speaking about who offered me the showroom wall at Fashion Week was standing at my at my table and he'd actually offered it to me the week before and I said no because I was like, oh no, this is just this is just a hobby. This you just can't go to Fashion Week. And so I came out of the bathroom mad and angry and I said, Hey, is that spot at Fashion Week still available? Because if it is, I'll take it. And that's <gasps> how I came to get the stall at Fashion Week. So So we it, thank that guy for being it, such a douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point is that you look back and you like things that you think were the end of the world. It's like, how do you turn that to be the fuel on the fire? And I think that's, that's the thing for confidence for me where you're like, Oh, I'll show you is kind of my mentality. (laughs) I love the way you tell a story. You have so many great stories. Can I take a bit of a tangent for a second? Because 
one yeah. of the things that I've read, and you've got an incredible blog, which people should definitely check out, and you're also um, releasing a book. Uh, is mm-hmm. it next year now that the book's coming out? Yes, March next year. Okay, so I can't wait for that. One of the things that you write about on your blog is finding your confidence in the way that you are with the men in your life. And you mm-hmm. say that somewhere in the 90s, this is what you've written, somewhere in the 90s, I absorbed the core belief that women had to make life easy for men. And you you talk about, you know, the messages that you received as a kid in mm-hmm. church and also in Dolly magazine and, and how a lot of that language, you know, when we were teenagers growing up, it was... Mm-hmm all about how to how to make men happy and how to find the right you know the fun guy guy, yeah yeah yeah. and it was all like weighted towards them and you wrote this incredible piece on your blog about the moment that you kind of went hang on a second this isn't really resonating with me and I think that that is a big step forward in your confidence can you just go into a bit of more detail about that yeah I think it's I mean it's it sounds so simple to have that realization, but I think it takes, you know, and, and in that article that you're talking about, I do list everything from sitting in church as a nine-year-old and hearing, you know, the, the pastor of our church quote Bible, quote Bible verses about, you know, the man should obey the woman and, you know, at 15 and the Dolly magazine. And then at, at 17, a, a guy invited me over his house. I thought we're just going to watch a movie. And he started to try to unbutton my pants. And I was like, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, you know, I knew I knew you'd be frigid kind of and you hold on to these these snippets along the way that just um infuse themselves you know into our psyche and you just they just kind of build up over time that once and when they all start to connect together it's a pretty powerful belief system to to hold and you know you look back at just even the subliminal messaging that we saw in movies growing up or you you know at a barbecue your dad might have being like oh no that's a woman's job and no harm mm. was you know entirely meant by it but you you take it on board and you're like all right noted that's that's a woman's job I've got to here's where I've got to do and like I said when growing up you, you know what you see kind of thing and we saw it from every I saw it at church I saw it in the media I saw it backyard barbecues everything so um you know you get to a point where something has to trigger whether it's something that you see in yourself or how you behave in a relationship or where something it just doesn't sit well right with you anymore and I think that's the whole core belief system that um, especially as women we're having to go back now and really peel back why do I feel that way and kind of digging through those layers because it's um we're so ingrained to you know oh it's just the way it is or oh that's just boys being boys kind of thing and it's it's not it's um it's a belief system that we've just kind of been able to sweep under the carpet until we can no longer do that and the yeah, yeah the article that you you mentioned there I talk about the my journey with endometriosis recently and um it really made me look back at why I ignored my body in a way like I was in so much pain every month and it, my body was screaming out for me but I just kind of put it on the back burner as to I'll get to that later or that's it's not as important as X, Y, and Z. And it really made me look at my own journey. So I really applaud you in um, how honest you've been, not just about 
um, your endometriosis, but about everything, but in particular, your um, how honest you've been about the way that you've spoken to yourself, that, that kind of inner critic, you've spoken to yourself about your body in the past. And um, you talked about when you went to see your gynecologist and mm-hmm. that they showed you real empathy. And, and you said something along the lines of the empathy that showed on her face was empathy I hadn't shown once to my own body. Yeah. Um, and that you'd been, you realized then that you'd been speaking to yourself in your head in such an awful way and you really needed to change that. I think there's yeah. something, you know, that's that's really powerful, the way that we talk to ourselves, isn't it? And it just becomes, um, we become so used to it. We don't even know how horrible or vile we are being to ourselves. And I said to someone the other day, um, you know, if you t- if you ex- move, remove yourself from it, for example, like if you spoke to your best friend the way that you spoke to yourself at times, like you, you wouldn't have any friends left or if you you know I, I talk about it as my body was screaming out every month for me to help it and I didn't I'm like but if my puppy dog was there screaming at me every month in pain I would do absolutely anything to make sure that he wasn't in pain but we so we you know we're very empathetic to to others situation but when we take that same verbiage to ourselves, we just don't connect the two because I think we're just so used to it and it's it is really dangerous. How did you come up with um, the right words to when, when you went public with that and when you posted mm-hmm. that really powerful picture? You've posted a few actually, but there's mm-hmm. one in particular where you're in a bikini and you can mm-hmm. see the, the marks where you've had surgery. Um, and it's at such odds because your Instagram feed is so aesthetically beautiful. And then <laughs> that, that still is a beautiful a picture, jarring, but, it? It's but it is, it is, it is a shock. And then yeah. you write so eloquently and, and openly about it did you have to really think well is this something I'm going to share and then come up with the right words to share that do you know what out of anything that I've shared I think that actually came the easiest and I didn't put too much thought behind it and I think I know that that that's when I know it is the right thing to share um and I I knew at the time it was it was quite personal but I also knew that I truly believe that you know if you're feeling something there is hundreds of thousands of other women out there who feel the exact same way or talk the exact same way or behave the exact same way to to themselves and um I just thought it I hadn't found any anything that had resonated with me in the lead up to my surgery or clearly my awareness on it that had kind of grabbed my attention so I hope that um, I could put it into a, a language that was very organic to me, which I hoped was organic to others as well to, um, for, for it to not trigger in a bad way, but to, to grab people's attention in, in the sense of your, you know, is your body speaking to you? And if so, please take this as a sign to, to go and see about it. And the, the messages I got from women all over the world were underlyingly heartbreaking because a lot of them are like, you know, I'm, I'm 12 years in and I haven't, you know, my body's been screaming at me for 12 years or I went to the doctor and then I wasn't believed or um, I've just put this on the back burner for the exact same reasons you have. So on one level it filled my heart because it did resonate and on the other level it broke my heart because it's it's so unspoken about and it really has to be more more conversation around yeah. it. Mm. How are you going now? Are you still in pain every month? No, I'm good. The operation was uh, life-changing. I can say that with hand on my heart. So I'm six months post-op now and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all I can to dedicate time and awareness so that other women hopefully, you know, can have the, the same experience on the other side of it.
Before we continue with this incredible conversation, I wanted to let you know that for the month of September, I'm taking 20% off my Becoming a Confident Communicator online course. This is seven video masterclasses plus workbooks you can keep forever. They're made just for time poor people. And I'm with you every step of the way, teaching you the exact techniques I use on TV and when I speak in public. It'll show you how to tell and sell your story with more poise and polish, whether you're on stage, on screen, or even on your socials. Head to katrinablowers.com and use the code SEPTEMBER20. That code again, SEPTEMBER20. You use that code at checkout for 20% off for September 2020 only. Okay, let's get back to the show. Looking back, do you think that you could have built your business in a different way, being much more mindful and being much more in your body rather than in your head? I mean, it's easy to sort of look back and and think, oh, I could have and I should have done this differently. But Mm -hmm. when you're in the thick of it and you're building a global brand, you have to operate at a certain pace, don't you? Absolutely. And I think people, you know, I often get asked, what would be the advice you give to, to escape burnout? I'm like, you can't give that advice to it. I mean, I've got a thousand things I could say, but until you experience the burnout yourself, you usually don't make a change. It's um, it's one of those things where, yeah, sure, the advice is good, but until you live it, uh, you have to come to that realization yourself. So I, I think the next part of my career will definitely be much more listening to my own intuition and trusting that a lot more. But um, you couldn't have told me otherwise over the last you yeah. know, 12 years of my 15-year career to date. So it, it had to happen yeah. that way, I think. I'd love to know, so as your brand got more and more traction and then you were jet-setting between Sydney and New York, I mean, then you were featured on Sex in the City. Can we talk about <laughs> how you found that out? How did you find out that your jewellery was going to be in an episode? Well, we got, um, so we lended product to the wardrobe department and you do that, you actually put it in the budget to make samples that you assume you're not going to get back because those departments are so big. So we're just like, oh, great, kind of forgot about it after a year. Then we received a card at our head office, an illustration of the four characters, and it said, one hand in the air for the big city, thanks for making us look so pretty. And uh, Patricia Fields had signed it. And I was like, what does this mean? Like, it didn't say, I was like, I, we had no idea. Like, do we get, you know, is the product being used? Are they just sending out cards? We didn't know. So um, I got an invite to the Australian premiere and I literally saw it on screen the first time anyone else did. And it was a <gasps> yeah, pair of uh, earrings that um, Miranda, the character Miranda wore. And it was a great scene because they've used that scene as the still shot. It's the most used still shot. So, um, you know, it's such a great the celebrity of it aside, the the business move for us, that was um, to be affiliated with a brand like Sex in the City opened so many international doors and, you know, put us alongside the Chanel's and Ralph Lauren's of the world. So it was, it was just incredible. And I'm sure, you know, from, from that moment on you became, because the, 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 you, you've kind of joked about it and you've given yourself a bit of a, a bit of shit about how you've, (laughs) you've named the brand very humbly after yourself. you, you, (laughs) You embodied that beautiful um, Aussie bohemian vibe which was incredibly aspirational and so as the brand grew you grew as a a public persona Mm -hmm. 
Was there a moment where you kind of had to dig deep in terms of confidence and self-belief and putting yourself out there and having to speak at things for the first time? Like where did you, what were you telling yourself during that time and, and where did you go sort of mentally to dig deep so that you could step up for those opportunities? Yeah, um, I, public speaking to me, I mean, I definitely get nervous before I go in front of big crowds and things, but it's um, it hasn't been something that I chased. As I said, it kind of came organically, so I kind of feel like I moved into it quite organically. I think the, the biggest confidence um, where I had to dig deep uh, throughout that journey was, it was probably around 2010, and, you know, we had such a great celebrity lineup of, of women wearing our product, and with celebrity placement comes a lot of interest out of the States, and um it was, you know, my business partner kind of said to me, we need someone on the ground over there to kind of guide where the brand is, is going internationally. So I packed my bags at 28 years old and, and moved over there. And, um, you know, as you say, we were known very much for this bohemian aesthetic. It was large stones, a lot of turquoise, statement in size, oxided kind of metals. And when I got there, rather than um, trying to find a mark, the market in America because it's so big, so trying to find the part of the market that was authentic to our uh, brand, I just got complete stars in my eyes and was just so romanced by everything that was New York and the, you know, the incredible lineup of brands over there and. As a brand builder, you can hope for everything that you want your brand to sit in a certain tier, a certain, you know, retail tier or media tier. And I knew we were a tier two brand. We were, um, you know, we connected with our consumer. I, I shopped in tier two stores. I knew very, we sat in that place very, very well. And that's where we had our success from. And so when I got to the States, I was like, no, we, we, I want to be a tier to a tier and a half higher than where we sit. And so I'd spend my time researching in like a Barney's or a Bergdorf or kind of these top tier retailers. And when I looked at those shelves, they were very much like minimal minimal styling. It was petite, um, you know, it was polished metals, it was all these things that we weren't. And I'd sat at my desk one night after having a big research day out in the city and I sat there and I just got into this conversation with imposter syndrome and my ego and the conversation was along the lines of if you're a real designer you you know you'd be doing minimal styles or you know if you really want to be taken seriously over here it was just this like back and forth of like it was almost like I was witnessing this conversation and I gave into it and I I changed the brand language in one season and I, I pulled our bio apart I changed everything that was colorful and relevant about our brand and when that new collection kind of hit a few seasons later I had removed every element of bohemian I had um you know I was like let's not tell the Bondo market story anymore there's nothing glamorous about that um, mm. no one cares I started on a dining table and, and stripped everything that was relative about it and needless to say like it was a complete shit show it, it completely tanked wow. um, the retailers were left with all this stock I you know I had to put in the next probably two years I had to get the brand back on track and and I think that's where I had to dig deep because I had I'd gone against my own intuition. I'd listened to my ego and imposter syndrome and, um, you know, compromised decisions lead to compromised outcomes. And it was, a, I felt like I just destroyed everything. And so I had to sit in that rubble and, and really go back to the girl that was at Bondo Markets and sit with her and be like, why did you start this in the first place and kind of rebuild from there? And that was kind of around the same time that my, my personal profile was, was getting a lot bigger too. So, um, 
you know, it's it's in those dark moments that you kind of got to spend a bit of time down in the mud and, and look around with what you want to take forward with you and what you want to leave behind. And then once you work that out, I think the process of, you know, alchemy and we, we start to rise up again. But it was mm. it was pretty bleak. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of, the, I think, the deepest I've had to go in my own, um, well, not the deepest, but in, in a, a brand and business sense to then show up publicly. And, um, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. I think admitting admitting mistakes and you know leaning into the shadow as well like yeah there's yeah. there's incredible power in that um I, I think you know there's we, with the sort of Instagram culture we've got of just think mm-hmm. positive and um right. positive vibes only you know like that's that's fine but there I think there's real power in sitting with those darker feelings and and learning those lessons and looking at your failures really dissecting them and failing forward. Absolutely. And I think those think you know, we we think of them as a at a glance that they're roadblocks. I'm like, no, no, they're actually they, they're not blocking the path, they are the path. They're the things that are trying to onboard us with, you know, the lessons or the experience or whatever is is needed for what's ahead. So I think, yeah, spending spending time in those shadows is so important. Um and I think that, you know, the the positive vibes thing on Instagram, it's it's not even it's it's not realistic to be like that all the time. And if it was, there's not a lot of depth to that so I think yeah having that that light and dark has to coexist. How did you cope as your public profile grew was that was that something that was a little tricky to get hold of that you had to sort of market yourself simultaneously with the brand because you were a representation of the brand? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah yes and no I think having named the brand my name from such a young age, I was always affiliated with it. So there's always a public element to it. Um, and I think it was actually kind of a nice entry because it kind of grew as the brand grew, my experience grew, and then my, my profile grew. So it was kind of a, a really nice organic way to step into it. Um, but I definitely saw um, the importance of not just telling you know, for so for a few years there, I'd do public speaking for young entrepreneurs, and I'd just kind of be like, and "Here's what we've achieved, and here's the highlight reel, and tick 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 kind of thing." And it was it wasn't until I really started telling talking about the hardships and the vulnerabilities that I saw the need and the reaction from people to be like, "Oh my gosh, yes, that's me, me too. I I totally resonate with that." So I think once I started to dig that little bit deeper and speak much more honestly and and vulnerably is when um, that kind of next level of it came about. Yeah, that takes incredible bravery. Um, I know from personal experience, I've always struggled with public vulnerability. It's mm-hmm. been, I, I always get that vulnerability hangover after yes. I've shared something yes. publicly. Yes, yes, think, yes, yes. Oh, God. And that's what I love. You know, Brene Brown has, of course, done so much great work in mm-hmm. that space. Um, you you share so much. So how do you, in terms of for other for other women and particularly mm-hmm. for, for business leaders where it is really important to share those stories. What advice have you got for for being confident enough to tell those vulnerable stories? Yeah, and it's so personal to everyone, right? Like, and you have to be at a time where you're ready to share it. Like, I, um, it's very rare for me to share something that I'm actually going through at that time. So I think there's a a timing that you have to be comfortable with. Um, and I think, 
you know, we always assume the worst, like we might hit publish on something and then we assume all the bad things that are going to stem from that. (laughs) So making sure that we're having a reality check in a way, maybe it's putting it past a few friends first or, um, you know, asking people for, for their feedback on it. But at the end of the day, it has to come back to your own um, intuition and how you feel about it, not how you think about it. Cause I think there's a really big difference between feeling and thinking. So sitting with it for a few days and um, yeah, letting it, letting it simmer, I like to say. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You've, you've spoken about that before about, um, you know, how important intuition is for you and, mm-hmm. and in particular um, when you decided to to close the business, how you really sat with that and listened to your gut for ages. And another area that you spoke about recently where you really listened to your intuition was when you, um, you, you deleted a whole bunch of mirror selfies from your mm-hmm. Instagram account. And you said, even though they were some of the most liked images that you put up there they just didn't sit well with you anymore talk us through your thought process around that yeah and I think and I guess overarchingly it's like it's and I think never more so than in this time in history that we're in and the more uh, we're learning and self-educating you know it's okay to to say oh I messed up or I've learned and now I know better and and we should be right like if you look back at your Instagram five years ago it's probably not what you would the same thing you would post today and in this case I kind of looked back and you know it was, it was at a time when I was kind of taking photos to show the jewelry I was wearing and it, it tied into a, a sales element um but I was posting these these images of these you know I'd be loaned a dress or I'd be going somewhere and um the the way I set it up I had this like a uh, floor mirror in my in my apartment in New York and I'd take a photo and the way that I kind of framed it looked like I was just kind of shooting it and running out the door but really, you know, each t- shot took. Yeah, I loved those pictures just by the by. I thought they were beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, as a creative director, I've, I've styled or, you know, overseen so many shoots. I know how to do the lighting. I know how to take. So, you know, it, it wasn't a true representation. So if someone's looking at it being like, oh, my shot doesn't look like that if I'm running out the door, or, you know, I wasn't saying that oh, I, I got this dress on loan. So it just, it was it was made out to be something that it wasn't. And I just looked at that and I was like, that doesn't sit well anyway, like the, the transparency around it. And if someone's reading that and feeling shit about themselves, then I'm contributing to that issue. So um, I just decided it was time to not only yeah. not do them anymore, but to, to delete them and, and say why. And the other thing that you spoke about was that it kind of made you ask yourself the question of, you know, what does having influence actually mean to me? What did you come up right. with? Well, I think, I mean, I know that the term influencer is is the, the term we give to, to that industry and I am one in, in some regards. But it, for me, I'm like, it's it's an advertiser. If you're getting paid money to promote a product, for example, then that's, that's advertising because I think everyone has influence. You don't have to be paid by brands to be an influencer. I think we're all... We all have influence and like we spoke about at the start, um, you know, it's that ripple effect. Everything you put on Instagram is is received somewhere and um, every word we speak or whatever, however we show up and we put out there, it's an influence. So um, we just have to be making sure that that's in line with our, our true values. And if you look at it as, you know, in, in my sense, I look at it as my Instagram following as, as my community and it's like if if I'm only as good as the weakest person in that community, meaning like if, if someone in there has got, you know, terrible anxiety and I'm posting something that's fueling that, then that's as good as I am 
in that moment. Mm-hmm. So um, really taking that responsibility and, and I, I say that in regards to in, uh, Instagram, but it's it's everything. We, we all have influence and we're, we're all responsible. So never more so in this time and, you know, if this year shown us anything, our, our divert to or someone else to look after it is, well, we are the someone else right now. It's, it's yeah. we've, we've got to be doing that. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd love to talk a little bit more about social media and it's something that I'm constantly mulling over in my head, you know, mm-hmm. in my relationship with it, how much I'm on it, what I'm posting, you know, who I'm reaching, what I'm trying to say on there. What? How do you kind of grapple with that stuff? What's, <laughs> what, well, do you have a framework? What do you, what do, you do? <laughs> killer. I don't know. I'm oh. like, um, it's, it's a cruel mistress, I describe it as, because, you know, it's, it's a big part of, kind of I guess everyone's business and and profile and things but I've got to tell you I have so much less anxiety when I'm not on social media and Mm -hmm. I think that there's a um there's a responsibility around that because I you know I'm 38 years old and sometimes I'm like I just need an adult to tell me what to do and I'm like no no no, you are the adult so yeah (laughs) um so you know we we can't sit here wait for you know mum to tell us to get off because we've had too much screen time so um I I have this concept around 900 seconds and I teach this in my workshop, the creative workshops, where I'm like, you just have to show up for 900 seconds to your craft. And in, you know, in the creative workshop, it might be watercolor or whatever, whatever it is. It's not your phone. It's something else that's, um, you know, that's really good, good for your soul. And 900 seconds is nothing. Like we can all do that each day. And you find that once you show up for 900 seconds, you'll probably stay longer. So I have found myself, you know, down the rabbit hole on social media and especially in, in isolation, like you, it's just habitual that you pick up your phone. You don't even know you're doing it, how many times you pick it up per day. But so I'm like, okay, now the phone goes out of sight or in a different room. And for 900 seconds, I have to sit with and read a book or do a painting or, you know, do a paint by numbers or something that's, that's not my phone. And it's just such a nice circuit breaker to, um, to not, go down that anxiety spiral because it's like the poker machines. Like when you're scrolling, you're not yeah. really, you know, it's just so habitual and it um, it gives me such anxiety, but I keep going back to it. So I don't know if I'm the best person to ask you that. <laughs> Bringing it back to confidence, it's never actually boosted my confidence. Being on social media, it always erodes it in some way because you find yourself, and I should know better. I work in the media. I should know better to not compare myself, but I still do. And it's something I have to catch myself on constantly. Yeah, because you just get into like a compare and despair where it's it's not helpful (laughs) whatsoever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love your 900 second rule though. That's that's brilliant. So it's so bite-sized. Yes, it is. Mm. This next evolution of what you're doing is mm-hmm. um, really awesome. You're helping um, young entrepreneurs and it doesn't matter, like it, that's not pertaining to age, it's just being young in your journey, which mm-hmm. is so fantastic because a lot of the women who come to workshops of mine, mm-hmm. they are in midlife and so I find that a lot of women particularly get epiphanies at that age, you know, when their, yep. their children go back to school or whatever and they think you know what that career that I thought I wanted in my 20s and 30s it's not for me now so they're beginning their entrepreneurial journey kind of um, at midlife so I love that that that's what you've defined it as and I would love to know what is your go-to confidence hack for women beginning their business journey 
Well, I think definitely getting off social media for large amounts of time and, um, you know, finding ways. I talk about curating a creative muse library. And what I mean by that is finding um, different, whether it be artists or businesswoman or whoever, it doesn't have to be someone famous. It's just people that when you read about their story, it inspires you in a way that makes you take inspired action so there's a florist for example in uh that had a studio in brooklyn called sarah reinhan and i have followed her journey for eight years and anytime i'm feeling a bit off track or like a bit lethargic i just click into um her story or like she updates she's got a beautiful journal on her blog that she updates and it just kind of brings me back to what is possible um in other people's journey which in turn inspires my own so um I think you know Mm. setting up a structure for a go-to success like if Instagram is the thing we go to and it gives us anxiety what is the structure that we're building around that that we can go to that that fills our cup and that will be different to everyone but having something in place so that it you know, it's a, it's a safe haven to jump to. Yeah, that's that's really great advice. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, these are our rapid fire questions now to wrap up the end of our interview. And I know you read a lot of books and I also know that you love inspirational quotes. So I'd love mm-hmm. to know if there is a book you've read or even a couple or a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey. Uh, I think a book that really helped me is um, by Michael Singer called uh, The Untethered Soul is one of his and also The Surrender Project, which was another one, um, a Surrender Experiment, sorry. And both of them I found just incredible to separate from the mind noise and if you can separate from that and really see the the damage of that kind of imposter syndrome and ego chatter uh, and both of those books uh, explain it beautifully Um, and a quote that I love and I say this one a lot um, which is the universe only ever has three answers for us yes not right now or I have something better in store for you I love that. I was actually, I had that written down on my piece of paper to ask you about, so I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. Um, And I love the, the, the not right now as well, because you've written quite extensively on your blog about how you can tell the signs for when it's a yes, when it's a not right now, and when it's a, you know, I've got something better in store. And it's about to, um, I think a lot of us get really deterred and really deflated when we hear the word no, but this Mm -hmm. is a different way of looking at it. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as anything with hindsight, when you can look back, you're like, oh, I can see why that played out. But when we're in the trenches of a hard situation, which we perceive as a roadblock or, you know, kind of this darkness, we lose all faith that there is a a higher purpose for what we're experiencing. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we look at coincidences as, you know, the good and the, the green lights, which they are, but then when the same thing keeps happening in a, in a, you know, not as enjoyable situation where it's like, why does this keep happening to me rather than asking what is trying to be presented or what, what am I trying to, what am I meant to be onboarding here to kind of move through this situation? And I think one of those books, The Surrender Experiment, um, Michael Singer talks very much about this and how he actually dedicated his entire life to being guided by what the universe kind of presented um, him with. And it's an incredible journey of, you know, of faith and, and surrender, but just like looking at some of those elements. Um, and it really does mean to surrender 
the outcome, right? Because we hold on to this thing so tightly that something's meant to go the way that we want it to in the time frame that we want it to. <laughs> and if we can just loosen our grip a bit, we're like, oh, wait a sec. If I look around, there are things unfolding around me that I have completely missed from that kind of having my blinkers on in that singular pass or fail kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I would love to know, what do you do for pure joy that has no outcome or goal attached to it? Do you know, this is, I think it's kind of nerdy, but I've just got back into adult paint by numbers. And I've I seen that on your <laughs> Instagram and I want to do it so now. Into it. It's so like, I just find so much joy in it because it doesn't have, like anytime I've been creative kind of in the past, it's had a commercial outcome or it's had to had to be something. But these ones, I'm probably just going to send it to my grandma and she's going to think that I painted it. So that's going to get me extra brownie <laughs> points. But I just, it takes about eight hours to do the whole painting. So every night I sit there yeah, with my with my paints. So I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Oh, <laughs> as boring just as that beautiful. Sounds. Not at all. I'm totally down for that. Um, and finally, what does the future of confidence look like for you? What are you working on in yourself right now that will take you to where you next want to be in your life? Oh, that's a big question. I um, I think stripping, continually stripping back that belief system and rather than reacting um, when we feel a certain way, asking ourselves why we feel a certain way and trying to disband whatever has caused us because I think once we have that understanding it um it just creates so much space within us for what is meant to reach us the space to land so um really trying to find confidence in going back to what is true to me not as what is true to what I've onboarded over the last 38 years and and differentiating between the two That's amazing. Well, I'm so excited for you and for what's next. And I know that you've already had such a massive impact on millions of women. And in this next venture, what you're doing now is going to help people in, in an even greater way. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, this has been so fun and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Term 6 Podcast Productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.